starting a brand new series today. Uh, it's going to be over the next eight weeks called The Anatomy of a Disciple to talk about what a disciple actually is. And as part of that, uh, we were using uh, Right Now Media videos. Right Now Media is, they describe themselves as the Netflix of Bible study, uh, but our church buys a group subscription, so you can log on to that for free. And you can just go to our Facebook page or go to the uh, albanygrove.com page or just send us a Snapchat and we'll send you the... Uh, <laughs> And we'll call you on the telephone and give you the, uh, the address that you can get to. But there's a whole video series that goes with this. It's a book as well. And if you buy the book, there's actually a code in the back to where you can do like a, a discipleship test. Like a, it's actually, there's a cost associated with it that this church in California runs. And it tells you kind of how you're doing. And then over the life groups and the sermons, we're going to try to kind of give you a plan for how you actually be a disciple and then you can kind of measure yourself up. You're probably doing great in some areas. You're probably following Jesus awesome in some areas. And there's probably other areas where you're like, well, we could shore that up and stuff like that. And so we just want you to be able to grow spiritually. It's not our goal to just gather a big crowd of people on Sunday mornings. We are doing that. Uh, but we want to actually change lives. Uh, the Grove is a bunch of people whose lives are changed, have been changed, are being changed, by Jesus, and uh, that's our whole reason for pushing, it's our whole reason for being, and what we hope happens in your life as well, all right? I'm going to pray, and uh, then we'll get started. We'll pray for just for our time together. Lord, I want to ask that you'd speak to our hearts today, and I want to ask that you would uh, just use the words uh, that I speak to change lives. I pray you'd change my life, and you change our lives uh, through what you're going to do and through what only you can do. Uh, may your grace be evident to our lives and your mercy uh, show us the way forward. By your name we pray, amen. When Jesus walked around on earth, he was like a normal person who walked around on earth, fully human, all the human things that are human. And he lived in a particular culture at the time that he lived. And in the culture that he lived, what Jesus was uh, would be referred to as a rabbi. And people would see him in that light. And so Jesus walked around the countryside, Capernaum, Galilee, down to Jerusalem, all over the place. And he would teach people things. He would teach people uh, his interpretations and his fulfillments of what the Scripture taught, meaning what they would call the Torah, uh, because Jesus was a Jewish man. And so he would be called the Torah, which would we call the Old Testament. And Jesus would go around giving instruction and giving teachings, and Jesus actually did like miracles and things like that alongside with, but what he was seen as culturally was a rabbi. And in that culture where people were uh, rabbis, they would actually have people who, um, like when you, you would go to school, and maybe someday that would be the end of school. That was kind of like rabbis were like the university system or the uh, uh, like graduate university system. Most Jewish boys, and this was a gender-segregated education system, uh, but most Jewish boys would go to the synagogue uh, around like six years old and start school. And they would start school and go from around the age 6 to around the age 10, uh, where they would learn, uh, and by learn I mean memorize, uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Numbers. If you've done Bible in a year, you know the beginning in February is a little tough, 
right? Leviticus, followed by Numbers, and you're like, come on, where's all the, like, Jesus loves me stuff? Um, They would memorize the beginning of the Scripture because it gave them their identity, uh, their law, their reason for being, their drive, and their orientation of their life was all around, and the orientation of their whole community life was all around the beginning of the Scripture. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, memorized. Now, when, when you're six, all the kids are kind of on the same level, but by around the age 10, you start sorting kids out, right? And some kids are really good at school, and then you have other kids. <laughs> the, you have the kids who are good at school, and you have the nearly meets. And if you were nearly meets, you would probably, around the age 10, uh, be done with school. You know Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, like you've got it memorized. You can have a good life. You understand how society works. So you go into like the family business. And when Jesus lived, this started getting more diversified because more and more people were living in cities. And so not everyone was going into the family business. Some people were becoming new things, especially with the Roman occupation that was happening in the Holy Land. But around the age 10, you would kind of have this division of kids who are going to keep going, boys who are going to keep going, and boys who aren't. And then the boys who kept going, uh, they would actually uh, memorize the rest of the Old Testament, all of it, all of the books of wisdom, all of the books of poetry, all of the prophetic books, and they would learn it. And you would, this was what school was. And the very best of the best of those kids would kind of go on, but most kids would be done and they would be at the point where they're kind of ready to take over the family business or maybe build on to the family house compound for their own family that was coming. And they're kind of looking at life. But the very best of the best would keep going in school. And they'd start studying some of the other rabbis and things that people taught and interpretations of the text and the art of being able to ask questions and know, not just know what it says, but be able to ask the why behind it and the implications behind what it says. And then the very best of the very best of the very best would actually go to a rabbi and ask if they could be a disciple of that rabbi. And when they asked, the rabbi would ask them several questions because the rabbi had to determine, can this kid be like me? Can this kid do the things that I teach? Can this kid follow my ways and follow my teachings? And so they would go and they would ask, and the best of the best would be accepted to follow a rabbi and be a disciple of a rabbi, and they would literally follow him everywhere in order to be like this guy so that we can someday, maybe, the best of the best of the disciples would become a new rabbi and have their own disciples. But the vast majority, by this point, had gone to the family business, had were done with their education, and they've gone to actually do some work. Uh, They would actually be fishermen, and they would be farmers, and they would make uh, sandals in the cities and just do the things that their family would do. So Jesus walks onto the scene, and Jesus starts going up to people and gaining disciples. We know Jesus had 12 disciples, 11 of which panned out. One of them, eh, not... It was, definitely, it was like a does not meet, not even nearly meets, does not meet, right? Like failed the standard, uh, got him killed, those kinds of things. Uh, 
that's a pretty big failure as a disciple. But uh, anyway, I, yeah. Uh, I often expect perfection in my life. This is what I was going to say. But Jesus, I mean, he picked Judas, right? Like, come on. But uh, I'm not saying Jesus made a mistake or sinned, but you know, he could have done better. But I'm going to pay for that, right? When I get to heaven, that's the one Jesus is going to be like, what? Uh, but Jesus has these disciples. And when you read the gospel accounts, the stories of Jesus actually going and round and teaching and healing and doing those things, Jesus goes and calls disciples who are doing things. There's really great stories in the Bible of Jesus going up to like these guys who were mending their nets from fishing or were out fishing and hadn't caught anything. If they're fishing with their family's fishing business, then they knew they weren't the best of the best. At some point, they weren't good enough to go get a rabbi and become a disciple. And Jesus is the rabbi who goes up to these people who aren't the best of the best and says, you, you, and you, I want you to come and follow me. It's kind of strange because the Bible says they dropped their nets and followed him. And we think there's some kind of like Jedi trick that Jesus did, right? Like, these are not the droids you're looking for, and come with me. That's the only Star Wars line I know. But there is this, what actually would have happened is Jesus is saying, I'm inviting you into the upper echelon of respected categories in our culture. And you would drop what you were doing too. If you had a, a labor job and someone was inviting you to be like in the White House or in the president's cabinet or the governor's cabinet, something like, you'd be like, yes, I will advise you on matters of whatever, 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 right? I will fake it until I make it. You <laughs> You would, all, everything would have a fishing illustration with it, which Jesus started, so it was kind of worked out for these guys. But this, to think they just dropped it and followed is a strange thing in our culture, but in their culture would have been the most normal response possible. When a rabbi comes by and says, you, follow me. You can be like me. You can learn my teachings and enact them and spread my message throughout the world. When a rabbi comes up to you, you do this, and your mom and dad will be the proudest parents in your little village. Because you, when they say, oh, what does your son do? Well, he's a disciple. He follows a rabbi. Well, your son must be, that's like a bumper sticker on your car that you got an honor student or something. So to be a disciple is to follow and to learn and to be able to teach and to be able to be like the person that you're following. And so Christians who are called to be disciples of Jesus, our role is to learn and be like and enact the ways and the teachings of Jesus. In a very strange way, the Bible teaches us that Jesus picked me and Jesus picked you. Because at some point you understood that you weren't the best of the best of the best. And yet Jesus continues to choose people like you and people like me in order to be like him and change the world by spreading his message and doing and enacting his teachings in the world and in our lives. Jesus actually says in John 14 to his disciples, and that means me and you as well, that we will do greater things in the world than Jesus did. This is John 14, that you will do greater things than I did. 
And Jesus did some awesome things, like the walking on water thing. I think we should try that. Maybe running on water or walking on air, like hoverboards. Jesus knew it was coming. Uh, like we, Jesus fed thousands of people. Jesus did healed people who were sick or who were dying or who were dead. And the expectation that Jesus puts on us is that we will do greater things than this. Not that we will do an imitation of Jesus, but that when we do the things we do, the stories of Jesus will become pale because of how awesome the stories of the disciples of Jesus are. I would bet that most of us, if you're a follower of Jesus, that most of you, you got saved at some point. You were like, people told you Jesus loves you. People told you that God has a plan for your life, that you can be forgiven of your sin, and you can have a relationship with, the, with your creator, God. And that was a very exciting moment, and you became, what the Bible says, uses the word born again, or became what the Bible calls a Christian. But then you didn't know what you were signing up for. You didn't understand the demands of being a disciple. You didn't understand that Jesus is actually calling you to an all day, all the time, every moment, every aspect of your life, demand on who you are and what you believe and how you act. And there's a great number of people who in that transition say, wait a second. Who literally, and I've literally had people say to me, I really like my sin. Like, my sin over here is fun, and Jesus isn't going to let me do this, and so I'm going to choose this. When we learn that Jesus loves us, has a great plan for us, wants to forgive our sin, it's an amazing thing. But to just rest there is to neglect the call of Jesus, is to neglect what Jesus actually teaches. I'm going to read this scripture to you. It'll be on the screen, too. Um, this is Matthew 28. It's the very end of the Matthew 28. The 11 disciples are in Galilee. They go to the mountain. The verse before this says they go to the mountain that Jesus told them to go to. Jesus has died and resurrected and is appearing to people uh, all over the place. And the disciples are meeting him on a mountain. It says when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And then Jesus came to them and said... All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. It's the last words that the Gospel of Matthew records of Jesus saying. It's not Jesus' last words. There's some other things that Jesus says in the book of Acts which chronologically come after this. But Jesus has been, um, as Jesus has died and rose again and is appearing to them. And if you have like subtitles in your Bible, this is called the Great Commission. That wasn't in the original Bible. These are just there so you understand it better. But this is the Great Commission that Jesus said, all my followers, go and do these things. So you are saved you believe that Jesus died and rose again and you put your full faith and trust in Jesus. And it's more than just like, I want to go to heaven when I die. It's actually like I want the world to change because people are following Jesus. And the way we do that is by making disciples. But that making of disciples, if we were to ask, like honestly, 
How many disciples have you made? It's probably not that many. You probably would think, I probably should have done more considering Jesus told us, make disciples. We do a lot of things that Jesus tells us to do, right? Like be kind, don't drink, smoke, or chew, or go with girls that do, don't, uh, right? I can't find that in the Bible, but I'm sure it's there. Uh, but there's, the, there's all these like, things that Jesus tells us to do that we do all the time. But this make disciples one becomes a bit awkward because we're like, well, that one, you know, I'm not really spiritually mature enough to do that yet. Maybe later when I can make, you know, and I get there which is kind of a hilarious thing. There's actual research that shows that when people become Christians over their life, they mature and then unmature. There's like a peak point for a lot of people in their lives, and that's the peak point. It starts going downhill because they start admitting that they're lying to themselves. Uh, when I'm mature, I'll actually do something about it, and they get to a point and say, okay, I'm lying. I'm never going to do anything about it. Ooh, right? Uh, and you can lie to yourself for a while. Have a good time with that. What I want to encourage you to do is stop and actually ask yourself, what would it mean for me to make disciples? And I think what it would mean, first of all, is that you would be a disciple. That Jesus would be more than just like the goosebumps you feel during worship or the high you get from going to church or the like helping high you get for holding the door for someone else on the way into the store. But to actually make a disciple, if we can't lead people past where we've been, we can't ask people to be something that we aren't. And so being a disciple of Jesus and actually following him and putting his words and his ways into our life and living with the expectation that John 14 gives that we will do greater things than what Jesus did so that the stories of Jesus become, yeah, all right, because of what the church does. And that's so you know, I don't say that lightly. Like, that's a dangerous thing. I'm, Jesus is probably going to get me in trouble for that, but I'm cool because he said it should, we should be better than him. <laughs> when we get a building, that'll go on our sign. The Grove Church, a little better than Jesus. When, <laughs> when we, if you're on a leadership team when we get a building, it's important that I'm not in charge of the sign. I have many ideas and I need just a separate sign in my office that I can change and be like look at that you know let me entertain myself and okay I want to talk about this scripture I, I like to start this in John 17 most like the video like to start in John 18 because this beginning says when they saw him they worshiped him but some doubted it's this hilarious admission that this morning while we were worshiping there were some of you who were doubting it's a hilarious admission that some of you wonder during the week if this is even real, if this is even true. And maybe it's because of your circumstances. Maybe life has sucked lately and you're like, I don't even know if God is paying attention. I don't even know if God is real. But some of us doubt. And in our culture, we like to say, oh, doubt is the opposite of belief. But in the Jewish culture of the ancient Near East, when this was talked about, doubt and wrestling with God was an integral part of faith. Having aggressive conversations with God was expected. So we like to like shove that doubt down into a dark place and keep it hidden because we don't know how to be a disciple so we just have to fake it until we're dead and hopefully people don't notice. But when the Jewish culture was there, they would say, nah, I don't believe this. I don't know what's going on. 
Like they're worshiping, but some doubted. How did they know unless somebody said something? Or is there a bunch of people with their hands raised to Jesus and there's one in the back going, I don't know about this. And they're like, are you on the security team or do you doubt, right? <laughs> there is, like, there is, I don't know how they found this out, but there were people there who doubted. And then Jesus gives the commission and he came to them and said, who's the them? All of them. So those who believed and worshipped and those who doubted and worshipped are all included in the Great Commission. Here's what that means. Some of you, well, one of you, one of you, is the very worst Christian in the room. Like the very worst, right? Like, I mean, come on. Very worst. And you think, when I'm not very worst, like I'll invite my friend who is way worse than me to come to church, and then people will think I'm all right. When Jesus looks at you, he calls to you and says, I love using that example because I know like at least 50% of you are like, it's me. Oh, geez, what, did he just make eye contact with me? <laughs> I know, I know he knows. Like going through your Facebook, oh, I got to delete some of this. Yeah. Going through your Snapchat, like do pastors get a special access? I need to like delete. No, we don't. And we don't know how to use that. <laughs> but there is this notion that when I'm good at this, then I can make disciples. And Jesus says, even those of you who doubt, those of you in the room, and if, if you read the rest of the book, Jesus actually prefers you. Don't get a big head because you suck at being a Christian, but Jesus prefers you and sees a lot of potential in you and wants to change your life and knows that you can do things that you don't even believe you can do. The guy who wrote the majority of the New Testament, his job before becoming a Christian was killing Christians. And so you're not the worst Christian in history, just the worst in this room. That's going to be a new sermon title for this, The Worst Christian in the Room. And at the end, I'll reveal who it is. <laughs> but when I reveal, they will have already left early. <laughs> so it won't matter. That's a little dig right there, huh? But when, we, when you understand that Jesus isn't calling... Like, the question isn't, am I mature enough to make a disciple of Jesus? Because you're not making disciples of you, you're making disciples of Jesus. The important thing is you can't lead people past where you've been, but you can introduce them to Jesus, and Jesus can actually change their life, and they can have a personal relationship directly with Jesus. And so it isn't, the commission isn't for the disciples who are good at it. The commission is for everyone who is there, even the people who doubted. And then the commission is given, this is what's great, not on the basis of your maturity, this is verse 18, but on the basis of the authority of Jesus, which is, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Meaning there's nothing higher than Jesus. When Jesus says it, he doesn't attest anything, he doesn't need to quote somebody, he doesn't need to say, oh, I promise by this, or I swear on the Bible, or something like that. There's nothing higher than Jesus. He's the top. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to him. And so now, when he tells you to do something, it's with all of the authority in heaven and on earth. All authority in the material and the immaterial universe is put into the statement, therefore, go. And we would actually, in the original languages, understand it to be not just spoken to the disciples and 
but spoken to all followers of Jesus. And in the way the language works, it would be like, as you go, like go, like be going. Don't huddle up, but as you're living your life. So therefore, go live your life, and as you're living your life, make disciples. And teach them to obey everything I've commanded you, and baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So there's three things that you need to do. Make disciples, baptize people, teach them everything that Jesus said to, to believe and to do. And all of a sudden, it isn't this really highly complicated thing. It's more of a, a let's live life together kind of thing. All of a sudden, we aren't having to evaluate who's the best Christian in the room and who's the worst Christian in the room. So you know the worst Christian in the room thinks they're the best Christian in the room. That's the trick. <laughs> but when we end up in this place of like, some are doubting, but all are called to this. And with all authority, Jesus says to go and do these things. Then if this is the commission, then it's the mission of every single Christian and the mission of every single church. To have Jesus change people's lives and the evaluation of your spiritual maturity is not based on do you have the Torah memorized? The evaluation of your spiritual maturity is based on are you actively making disciples and being one yourself? Are you teaching people the things that Jesus said? Are you baptizing people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? We want to equate spiritual maturity with like being able to quote obscure Bible verses or being really old, just like physically old. And so now, you, oh, you must be mature because you're so old. Or, or there's like a, a, uh, a condemnation of things that are sinful. Oh, they're so spiritually mature that they don't like anything fun. Right? All the, none of those things are listed in anything that Jesus says. Go and stop having fun but you get to go to heaven at the end. So life will suck, but there's a prize at the end. Like, like Jesus is some awful-tasting kinder toy, and we have to eat this garbage to get, you don't get those in America, but in Canada, we have these eggs with toys inside of them. They're illegal here because you don't know not to eat the toy. <laughs> like, if there's a criticism of Common Core, that should be it, right? Like, don't eat the toy. <laughs> come on finally here's why so you know your reaction to this should probably be I get it I want to do it but I'm really not sure about this like I'm not like I don't know how to make a disciple I'm not very good at making disciples and Jesus at the end throws this thing in that says and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age the age refers to until Jesus comes back the age is, when Jesus says that, is the, the age of the church, when the church exists on earth. And Jesus actually says that you have all authority to do this, and as you're doing it, I'm going to be right there with you. So if you don't know what to say, ask me, and I'll help you with that. If you don't know what to do or how to interact with someone as far as making a disciple or being a disciple goes, ask me, and I'll help you with that. In everything that you do, as you go through your life making disciples, Jesus is, according to the scripture, actually with you. 
So when you're riding in your car, when you're sleeping at home, when you're brushing your teeth, it's like Jesus is there with you. It's why we say things like when you become a Christian, we say you ask Jesus into your heart because Jesus is so with you, he's in you, in the most personal inner part. The Bible never talks about like a a Jesus-shaped hole in your heart that you put Jesus into and now you feel good or something like that. But the reason that we don't, like, I'm not for or against that statement, the reason that we use it is try to explain that Jesus is so with you that he's in the most important and in the most personal parts of you. The parts of you that when I talked about being the worst Christian in the room that you thought of right away, Jesus is with you in that. The parts of you when I talked about being the best Christian in the room, Jesus is with you in that and going, come on, really? (laughs) Here's what I want you to do. Uh, Because this is kind of an introduction to the whole thing, I want you to actually make a couple commitments. I want you to commit to being here for eight weeks. And you need to know something, and this is just kind of a personal story. I pray each week in the car with my kids. I pray often with my kids, but we pray in the car on the way to church, just me and LJ and Kobe. And you can ask them, I pray repeatedly uh, for a certain number of people to come to church. And God hasn't done it yet, and so the next week I pray, God, I don't know if you're not listening or what's wrong with you, uh, but please send a big storm so that people don't have anything else to do but go to church, right? Like, uh, and it was close, so I'll keep praying. But I have an expectation um, for the growth of this church. And I put that expectation on God because only God can control this. And you might think this is weird, like I have a big ego or something like that. I have a lot of unsaved friends. And I really think that they should know Jesus. And I imagine you do too, and I want them to all know Jesus. I don't understand why anyone in Albany would go to hell. Uh, there are really, really good ways to go to heaven. Like, there are some churches that are kind of crappy ways to go to heaven, right? Like, it's awful. Uh, But there are really, really good churches in Albany, more than just us, really good churches. And I don't understand why anyone... Don't don't put that quote on Facebook. But I don't understand why anyone goes, well, I'm going to hell. Like, that's a bad choice, man. Eternity is very, very long, and hell is very, very hot. Uh, But when we... Don't put that on Facebook either. But, but when we I have an expectation that this church will grow because we will present the gospel to people in a relevant way and encourage people to be disciples of Jesus. And so over the next week, as we're talking about what it means to be a disciple, I want to encourage you to actually like make it a priority to be here. You know how sometimes you like work out extra so that you can build or something like that or like, a, you know, summer's coming so you think you're going to look good in your bathing suit and most of the time it's just a commitment that you make and you put it on facebook but then you don't actually do it right put on facebook i'm going to church for the next eight weeks all right but actually do it and let people hold you accountable for those things check in for eight weeks in a row we're going to talk about and i understand life gets in the way sometimes you have a job or your kid has something going on or something like that not, this is not a guilt trip thing. What I'm trying to do is actually call you to eight weeks, two months of actual intentional investment in your spiritual life so that you were here and then you're going to be here. So that you were the worst and now you're almost first. All right? So that you actually grow in Jesus. You increase your spiritual fitness. Second thing, I want you to get on, either get in a life group or get on Right Now Media. 
Uh, life groups are going to go through this series called Anatomy of Disciple on Right Now Media. They're not going to discuss sermons. Well, they can. I can't stop them. But uh, they're actually going to watch these, this video series that this pastor in California has put out. It is fantastic. Uh, and actually make the commitment. But if a life group doesn't fit in your schedule right now, I understand that life is hectic sometimes. Hop on Right Now Media. The videos are 10 minutes. And so you could actually watch those by yourself and think through the questions or text with someone or talk to your family or something. As a family, you could spend 10 minutes investing in your spiritual growth during the week and it will pay off. It's more than nothing. And the last thing I want you to do is start praying now about who you could disciple. Because there's been people in my life who have intentionally said to me, I want to invest in you. And I see this potential in you. And I've never said no to those people. When someone comes up to you and says, hey, I see potential in you, I'd like to invest in you, I've never, uh, I've never even thought, oh, I should say no to this person. Because when someone sees value in me so that I can grow, it's like the biggest compliment and the most affirming thing in the world. And so if we as a church are actually actively looking, who can I invest my life in? Because your life has an expiry date on it, and when you get to the end, the only thing that stays is what you've put into other people. And you invest in your family, and you invest in your kids, and you invest in your grandkids, but scripturally, you don't have to be limited to that. And it might be just little things. It might be that you see a young dad, and you're like, hey, uh, let's go grab a coffee, and you're an experienced dad, and you just let him talk about how tired he is and say, someday you won't be tired, right? And he'll hold on to that promise like, like Jesus himself told him that. <laughs> Young parents in here are like, is that, is that true? But there might be people who are entering a phase of life that you've already gone through, and it's not difficult. It's not that you sit down and say, listen, I've thought this through. There are seven keys you need to know to get through this next phase in life. It's mostly just listening. If you really look at Jesus' interactions with the disciples, it was mostly asking the disciples questions and then saying, whoa, guys. And so discipling could look a lot like that, where you sit down with someone, you tell them that they're worth your time, you ask them some questions, and then when they go off the rails, you say, hey, what about over here, back on the rails? And they'll probably go, you're so wise, I'm going to get back on the rails. There isn't like a secret formula. It isn't, oh, now that you're mature enough, God's going to tell you the secrets of the universe and you can disciple somebody. The expectation is even those who doubt are discipling. So I'm asking you to invest in yourself. It's the weirdest thing I've ever asked, but I'm actually asking you to love yourself enough to actually invest in your spiritual growth. I'm asking you to get on Right Now Media and watch the video series if you're not a video person and you're a reader, there are actual like, reading resources that are picked out for this sermon series. You can grab one of those books, and they're going to ask you to have discussions and have conversations and to change your prayer life so that you have an expectation that your life will be more meaningful than even Jesus' life was. Because Jesus has that expectation on your life. Let's pray together. Let's stand. Let's pray together. Our God, we want to ask right now, that you would put a call on our lives or impress this call on our lives in such a way that it's undeniable. Make us disciple makers. Which is kind of a strange thing to pray, God, because we often think we do all these things that you tell us to do, but making disciples is like this bonus one for really good Christians. 
but we want to stand with those who doubt it and admit our shortcomings and admit our weaknesses and actually ask you to speak into our lives in such a way that we become people who make people who follow you. Move in our lives as individuals, move in the life of this church and allow us to have an impact for your gospel that is so great that John 14 comes true, that it's even greater than we could have expected. May you be glorified in us, God, and may you be glorified through us. In the name of the Father and the Son.